Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cherry Talks Fiction. Today, we've got an author interview with the author of Straya, Anthony O'Connor. Some of you may have caught the review I did of this book on the last podcast. If you haven't so far, I recommend maybe going back and having a listen. But Anthony is here to have a bit of a chat about the dystopian genre, his work on the book Straya, and hopefully some really deep dive in just the mellifluous language that is woven through this uh, really engaging novel. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks very much for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Now, this is the sort of part of the podcast where I would normally say, I'll let the novel introduce itself in its own words, and then I'd rattle off the blurb description. But since we have a really good opportunity having you, the author themselves here, maybe I might let you take a crack at uh, just introducing the audience to Straya and a bit about what it is and what it's about. Uh, Okay, so Straya is a kind of rip-snorting adventure dystopian novel set in the ruins of what used to be uh, Sydney at some point, probably two or 300 years in the future. It's a bit nebulous because um, timekeeping skills have uh, rather gone away. And it's the story of an affable, bendy, yellow-skinned mutant named Franger who uh, lives with a bunch of other orphan mutant children Uh, who are looked after by a man of indeterminate age called Ken Ages, who acts as a kind of father figure and mentor to these um, much preyed upon and abused kids. Because in in the city of New Sydney, mutants are a kind of second-class citizen and are very much frowned upon either uh, through government lack of uh, care or just plain old um, bigotry. And Franger helps support his other mutant orphans by going to a deadly area of New Sydney called the Download District, where he uncovers an ancient bit of technology that sets in motion a series of events that unleashes a a malevolent force that is brand new to this world and may just destroy it. And this whole story is told from Franger's perspective in the language of the Australian language, which is a kind of degraded mixture of, of phonetic language, slang, and just some shit I made up. So yeah, that's that's the basic premise of Straya. Since we're ending on talking about the language there, I'd like to probably start with that too. The language in this book I thought was absolutely glorious. It's uh, like you say, this, this really unique blend of Australianisms with uh, well, you know, leftover English and sort of that dystopian future speak that we're accustomed to in the genre. How did you go about creating this language? Did you just sort of think to yourself, well, you know, take the idea of the sort of the Australian ockerism and just dial it up to 32? Or did you sort of have a bit of an idea in mind of making this something that would be really unique and stand out about the book? I've always liked languages, uh, made up languages in other books. Um, I, Clockwork Orange is probably one of the greatest examples of one. I mean, it owes a lot to Russian, but it, it, it always kind of fascinated me. Uh, and also, and I know this isn't a made up language, but uh, Irvin Welsh's phonetic use of Scottish in novels like Train Spotting, uh, where you kind of, you read it for sort of five pages and it's incomprehensible. And then by page six, you realize, oh, I completely understand this now because it's got set rules and kind of 
linguistic touches and and stuff that it, it always obeys. So it makes sense in the context of its own language. And I've always wanted to do something like that. And I've also been a longtime fan of Australian colloquialisms, colloquialisms in general, but Australian ones particularly. There's so much weird kind of abrasive poetry in the way that we speak. There's expressions, uh, it's, a, it's a bit sweary, so I, I apologize in advance, but he's a good bloke. He'd lend you his arsehole and shit through his ribs. And I, you hear stuff like that and you go, that is the most brutish poetry I can imagine, but it's also beautiful and so evocative. No poet has ever equaled the sheer imagery of a, of a statement like that. And, and we have so many of them. We're not here to fuck spiders. The etymology <laughs> of that is horrifying, but fascinating. And so, yeah, I, I've always wanted to kind of incorporate that in something, but it, it kind of, it didn't, Okay, so the idea for Stray has been with me since I was very young. Um, the, the premise rather than the idea, I guess, like a setting of a kind of degraded Australia and a kind of mutant creature that, you know, evolves through personality and absorbing people. But for years, I didn't have a point of view character. And we're talking like 20 years. Like I was a kid when I first thought of this. But because I, I'd sort of been weaned on things like Judge Dredd and Blade Runner and, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing, all the characters I came up with were kind of cops and, you know, Hey, he's a cop from the rich part of town and a cop from the poor part of town. And they team up to fight a monster. And I never went where any, anywhere with it because like, I really couldn't, I don't think I have anything unique to say in, in that realm, or I certainly didn't when I was younger. And so kind of, I, I had a, a premise and a setting without a story or a point of view. And then around about 2016 or 2017, I had this idea about what kind of jobs would you do? in a, in a post-apocalyptic setting, like what would you do for employment? And for whatever reason, the idea of a bunch of mutants putting on theatrical productions tickled me. And I, lo I love the idea of that. And then kind of Franger sort of evolved from that, Franger being the, the lead character. And obviously he's not gonna talk like me or you, he's gonna talk in, in however, a sort of a combination of, of how the locals talk, but also his um, much, much older mentor and, and friend, Ken Ages. It was this kind of juxtaposition of, of really coarse, vulgar language that's now the norm, and also old English that's been a bit forgotten because Ken's mind's going. Um, and, and it kind of, it escalated from there. Like it was just this, I, I felt like I'd, I'd turned a tap on and then it was, oh, and if, if you could say that, then this could also be an expression. And, and what if the word Darry's no, no longer meant cigarettes, but was like used like God, like instead of saying God, people were like, oh, Darry's. Uh, and just stuff like that. And it was, it just, it was crazy. It just kind of snowballed into just a sweary morass of, of language that was just a joy to write and use. And it, and it really made the, the novel come to life for me. And I was suddenly able to write this story that had been with me for so long. It really does come alive in your hands when you're reading it too, because that the language, the cadence of the writing in this is, um, is phenomenal. It does scream like a story that's meant to be read aloud or at least for you to sort of take a, a quiet spot in the house or where no one else is around and just, just sort of try it out on the tongue. It has that lilt, that sort of that poetry to it. And those expressions are phenomenal. Like you say, the, uh, the one there with, uh, with the ribs is a fantastic yeah. one. Uh, it reminds me of one of my uncles, you know, he was a horse trainer in um, rural New South Wales. And um, time you go up and, make him breakfast he'd ask you to make sure that his toast was as black as a ditch miner's bugger hole you know it's just a fantastic <laughs> sort of real unique phrases that'll that'll come out of people 
and this book just being a, a massive collection of those is glorious just in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I didn't want it just to be a collection of elegant swearing, but um, that was definitely part of it. And it is because a lot of it comes from the poems, like, because, you know, uh, we, we sort of, uh, white Australia was brought over here by them. Uh, but we kind of splintered off at a certain point linguistically into these just fascinating digressions. And it was it was a joy to research um, and it was a joy to write. But, but I completely take your point about it being read out loud. I mean, I'm, I'm over at Stray Book on Facebook doing weekly readings at the moment through lockdown. And um, even as I'm reading it, it's like this, this is, yeah, this was always meant to be spoken, possibly not around your nan because it is a bit sweary. <laughs> there but is a Nan's lot of gone, very creative uses of the word cunts. Uh, in this, that's yeah, C-U-N-C-E yeah, for anyone, but yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, that's, that's definitely a, a barrier to some people. It's, it's, it's a word, even a, a word that sounds like it is, um, it's, it's too much for people. And I, I, look, I'm, I'm not, that's, that's fine. Like, I mean, if that's where you draw the line with language, muzzle tough. For those of you who don't mind things uh, that skew a little vulgar, um, it's creatively vulgar. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in here. I think that anyone who has spent any time in Australia, whether growing up here or visiting, you're going to run across something that you've heard at some point. And it kind of grounds this strange reality in a way too, because it's a very familiar sort of understandable kind of progression of language rather than it's not sort of Dothraki being sort of slammed in somehow or, or something like that from a like you know, very consonant heavy alien language that's been ported over for the futurism it's really it's yeah, very right. relatable you, you can almost see how the etymology has been across those couple of centuries to land up with franger and gia running around and speaking like this uh, in earlier drafts it was definitely more extreme like um i think i threw everything at the wall sort of draft one two and three and then over time i kind of trimmed away that which didn't make sense or kind of stop you in your tracks because it, it does need to be read it's meant to be a, a you know an engaging yarn but um yeah that was the balancing act that, that was hard to strike but but was really important to get right it was um still understandable still coherent still with its own internal logic so yeah I'm, I'm glad that worked for you that's awesome terry talks fiction in general we sort of we do take a lot of time looking at things like that internal structure and layering a story with context so you know my background personally it was uh, I spent 10 years as an archaeologist digging around uh, the state of Victoria and when I look at a book I sort of think about you know oh yeah like like you would go through like an archaeological excavation to understand something there's a similar pattern in fiction with layering context down you know a bit at a time a bit at a time so that when you get to the end the narrative has sort of built your understanding of the world and the narrative is built along up to that point. I thought that this was a really great way of doing that. Uh, we don't want to spoil too much of the ending if we can help it for, for people who might want to go out and get the book after this. But where you say things like the idea of putting in amateur theatre and putting in this uh, horrible force which just goes around absorbing people and, and things the way that all that came together was really fascinating, well-structured. Was that the initial, when you say that this book has been with you for, you know, a decade or two, did you always sort of have a clear idea of its direction or is that something that changed dramatically once you decided to focus on Franger and the mutants as sort of the central characters? 
no, it was definitely something that changed once Franger came into town. Uh, initially, it was a much more generic sci-fi notion. Uh, I guess like a lot of those, you know, that Blade Runner-esque, you know, film noir sort of uh, situation, which again, was just not something I was ever going to be able to execute any better than, than that, which has gone before many, many times. Uh, so when Franger came into it, the idea that tickled me was like, what if we have, this could almost be taking part in the same world as Mad Max, except instead of out there on the roads, we're stuck back in the city. And instead of having a character who is completely suited to any situation, we have someone with a, a staggering set of bewilderingly impractical skills. Like he can jump and he's quite bendy and he's good at theater. And, and that's the skill set that he's bringing to a, a situation where it's completely ill suited to it. And, and the, the challenge that I wanted to, uh, that I sort of set myself was how can someone with that skill set, which is very narrow, possibly hope to um, defeat the, the sort of evil and, and, and um, triumph in, in a situation? So I wanted the odds to be very much set against him and I wanted to reach an ending that made sense, that didn't cheat. Um, but also hopefully had, um, you know, again, without getting into spoilers, but hopefully had our, our hero triumphing or at least saving his nearest and dearest. And that was, it was a fun challenge because I, I knew, I knew I didn't want the same ending and the same climax that we've all seen like a thousand times, but I also wanted something that would be uh, uh, narratively satisfying and emotionally satisfying even more so. It was a good challenge to have. Frank had changed this whole story. And in fact, Franger himself, is a very different character to the one that I kind of envisaged because I was, when I first started writing him, I was like, he's going to be a, a bit like me, a bit of a smart ass, a bit of a loner, a bit terse and a bit dismissive of people. And because I'd written him as basically the minder or, or, or teacher of a group of children, he very quickly moved away from that and resisted all my impulses to kind of make him glib. And so he ended up being this very kind character. As I went on, as I was writing, this this felt more and more the way he should be. Like, what if this is a guy whose whose kindness is his strength? Which just felt like a, a you know almost a revolutionary act in some ways, particularly when I was writing it, which was a well, he's been in very interesting times in general. So yeah, Frank had changed everything basically. Um, he changed the language, he changed the the arc of the story, and he got the book written uh, from something that had been sort of sitting in my drawer of shame to something that now sits on bookshelves. Uh, so yeah, so thank you, Frank. That seems very thematically appropriate for Franger to have done as well, uh, considering his arc in the in the yeah. novel too. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Like the, he's a he's a little he's a little doer and an unexpected achiever. Um, and I, I like a hero who's underestimated every step of the way. It's um, that's interesting to me. That's a, that's a character, and it feels very Australian too. That that notion of the underdog and you know all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, I felt there was a lot of this book that was really interesting and the way it played with that idea of what Australia sees itself to be. And then what Australia is when the, when the chips are really down and you sort of strip away that veneer, both the, the really good and the really bad. It was a, it was an interesting bit of social commentary there because you've got this book that focuses on an underclass in what we famously tout to the world as a classless society and yeah. I thought it was really, really interesting how the only time the book really deals with the other half of society is really when we're watching that get destroyed. We don't really, I guess, see how the uh, the better half lives uh, in this new new world order uh, of Australia. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, 
I, I think underdog stories are inherently for me more interesting. Um, I, I did want to explore more of what we call the big end of town, which is where the rich folk come from, but it just didn't feel it didn't feel right in this particular story in, in Australia specifically. Oh, look, I love Australia. I love living here. It is such a fascinating country, and it, but it's a real land of contradictions. Um, and I don't think that's explored as much as maybe it could be because we do like to think of ourselves as larrikins and, you know, little, little doers and champions, but there is a huge streak of, you know, uh, social injustice and bigotry and uh, racism and violence that is often swept under the rug. And so I kind of wanted to explore that notion that, you know, we're all very open-minded and she'll be right until there's someone that we don't like. And then all of a sudden the, the veneer kind of cracks. I didn't want to do it in a preachy way either. I, I, I've just, I mean, a lot of it, I, I just experienced myself, you know, just, just kind of being a bit of a bookish nerdy type in a all boys high school, for instance, uh, and not being, um, uh, not being good at sport. You, you tend to see how quickly people's dismissive and, and uh, darker impulses kind of, kick in and yeah and it's it's just I wanted to explore the notion that we're not quite as backslappy and chucklesome as we always think and yet sometimes we are and and also we, we are we're good in ways that is surprising at times as well so I, I just wanted to explore the light and shade of it I guess yeah I think it was really interesting to see that develop so the way that Frank and the Muties were treated but also the way that Ken was written uh, as well because you've got a, an older a person from a much older generation to those who were around him, whose memory and mind is fraying around the edges. And it's really, it was really fascinating to see how he was treated, I guess, by the other people in his community, by the people under his care, you know, at least nominally, and also the way that he was sort of treated by himself uh, as it were sort of that wrestle between the two halves of him, the half that he's that's going and the half that he used to be, you know, just really distillation of all those elements that you say, even just into one character and seeing how that played out in the world. Yeah. There's a lot of notion of identity in, in Australia. I think the monster particularly and Ken as well, both sort of characters writ large that are experiencing identity crises because they don't entirely know who they are or where they belong uh, as indeed is Franger. And I guess these are, these are fundamental primal questions that we ask ourselves, like, you know, who are we, where do we fit in? They're, they're the big ones, you know. Uh, and sci-fi has been exploring them for ages. I mean, Blade Runner, for God's sakes, that's, that's you know, the, the big daddy of that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a huge part of the DNA of the creature of, of the, you know, that is Straya. And, I mean, they're, they're the big things. They're, they're the ones that keep us up at night. So it's, it was it was fun to explore in a, in a new Australian context as well. Yeah, it was really. Can we take a, a maybe a little step to the side and just talk about the the world for a moment too that you've built? Just the the Australian dystopian landscape, I thought was a really interesting and fascinating one because, like you sort of said, a lot of well, certainly in my experience, a lot of focus on Australia as a dystopian setting has sort of been wide open you know, large scale, uh, at least thematically sort of things like the Mad Maxes, you know, running across the deserts, uh, a lot of sort of focus on, you know, this is a land without water now and now everyone, it's it's dry and destroyed. But yours sort of took a very different approach to that, focusing just on one city and really even just a couple of a couple of districts within that, that one city, this very closely confined space, this dome 
over it, this technological dome that's keeping people safe from that ecological destruction. Were you ever tempted to sort of broaden the scope? Could Franger take a step outside and go off and see what has happened to sort of New Brisbane or New New Perth? Oh, look, absolutely. Look, um, I absolutely want to write more stories in the Australia universe. Um, I have a vague plan. It's actually maybe less vague. I've got a plan for five major works, sort of Franger's story, Franger's arc, uh, which we will visit other states and all that kind of stuff. But I knew I wanted to get New Sydney right first, and that, that was the most important thing. So I had to make that make sense to me. But, yeah, look, the world building to me was was one of the most interesting and important things. And, and I sort of set myself a few rules. I knew from the start I didn't want to have a story set in the water wars. I didn't want people fighting for food. Like I love The Road by Cormac McCarthy. It's a great book, but I really didn't want to write The Road because The Road already exists. So I wanted to have a society that had clawed itself back a little. Like we're, we're probably 100, maybe 200 years away well, from the, the big nebulous event that, that, you know, made everything pig's asshole. And now we're sort of stuck in a place that is degraded and patchwork, but the people can eat. There's almost enough food to go around. There's technology that cleans the drinking water. So there's, you know, enough people aren't sort of uh, dehydrating on the streets and that kind of stuff. Um, but, but things aren't great, but they're a little bit better than they maybe were 50, 70, 100 years earlier. So it was important that that was the kind of setting just because I didn't want it to be completely nihilistic. I think dystopian books, I guess by the nature, tend to be a bit miserable and depressing. Uh, and sometimes that's great. It can be a real palate cleanser if you've, you know, read, if you've been happy for 10 minutes and you're like, oh, this would be great. But I, I didn't want that. I wanted this to be a society that, yes, compared to ours, is definitely less than ideal. But to the people in it, it's just different. Like, Franger isn't generally a miserable person, uh, even though he's had objectively not a great life. I like the idea of a dystopia, an apocalypse, or a post-apocalypse, where the people were trying to be happy, trying to get better. Um, and broadly speaking, I like the idea of an arc that begins in dystopia and, and skews towards utopia. So I wanted to try something different with, with these kind of novels or these kind of stories about a society that's making itself better without being pat and twee. I didn't want things to come easy and they don't and things will get darker and lighter and there'll be a real roller coaster ride along the way. But broadly speaking, I wanted this to be a story of improvement and cautious optimism. Like perhaps this can be better, but perhaps we can be better. We can do something about our worst impulses and our dark angels. Uh, whether, you know, whether Franger succeeds, whether uh, Australia, Australia itself succeeds at doing this, you know, that's to be TBD. But um, it's definitely a, a, a series of stories I'd like to explore. I'd also like to set some stories in other places in Australia as well and just kind of have a fresh start here and there. But let's let's see if there's a hunger for more Franger first and uh, then we'll go from there. You certainly got a, a, like a wide diversity of characters and that to explore through those means, as you say, like you've got Gia the um, prostitute working in Flesh Alley with uh, some mm -hmm. very creative names of establishments there. But you've also got <laughs> the, a real sort of Aussie twist, I guess, on some of the staples of, a, of the genre, like the mutants, the drug addicts, the just the violent roving gangs uh, and things sure. like that as well. Um, 
what one faction which I thought, thought particularly was interesting was the city or the the settlement of you know violent drug adult murderers who'd all found religion mm. and um, who yeah, ended up right. kicking off a major plot point uh, in the book as well. Do you have sort of, uh, I guess, uh, influences behind all those different groups or did they just sort of seem like these are the sort of people that fit in the world at the time? I mean, Australia is very, it's a kind of exaggerated sense of, of things. It's, it's got that, that Mad Max equality, I guess. So there's a few clans in the download, which is the district where the gangs tend to roam. Uh, and the mongrels are probably the most Mad Max out of all of them. Like you could imagine they're kind of like leather masks and, and inexplicable bondage gear and they're all muscle bound. And it's, it's very similar to the kind of gangs that we see in the Mad Max movies. The Darrows, um, the, the religious fanatics you're talking about, definitely, I, I like the idea of people that, you know, maybe six months ago had been cannibals um, and then they discovered religion, even if it is a strange sort of religion involving hallucinogenic tumours and such, and that they were so so engorged with belief in, in their strange deity that they literally changed their lifestyle. Again, still in terrible ways, they're still insane uh, and violent, but I, I like the idea that kind of religion focused that insanity and violence into a bizarre uh, and hopefully entertaining way. So I, I guess maybe that was my sort of um, my piss take of religion in general, which I'm not a huge fan of. And then the Mutz are the more mysterious clan that we don't actually get to see that much, but they're, they're either mutants or deformed by the, the waters in, in, around New Sydney. So we, we never quite know. And I, I think that was just, I, I love the idea of roaming clans and gangs. I always have it. It's sort of fired my imagination um, when I was a youngster. The, the Cursed Earth in Judge Dredd comics in 2000 AD, uh, you know, just, just the idea of roaming cannibals in, a, in an urban environment is delicious for me in ways I can't really describe. Choice of words. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know why I like that so much. I, I definitely don't want it. It's not aspirational, I can assure you. Uh, but it's just fascinating to me. I, I think tribal conglomeration of people has always, because again, as I, I said before, I'm, I'm a bit of a loner. I'm, I'm quite comfortable with small groups of people. And the whole idea of, of doing anything tribal is baffling to me. So I guess I explore that through writing. And definitely the idea of throwing your lot in with people who are worshipping a, a giant deformed pig is the kind of bizarre that I like. So I guess there's there's a bit of social commentary, there's a bit of satire, and there's just stuff that, that I find enjoyable. Um, and that's that's where it all started um, for me. And I, Initially, I think I, Australia was going to be all that, like it was just going to be roaming clans and whatnot. And then I thought, no, you, that's just Mad Max. Mad Max is wonderful and amazing, and I, I can't wait to see Furiosa. But they all exist. So let's. What if there is a, a, a half-assed patchwork government that's almost working, and a corporate-sponsored, you know, dome of umbrella drones that keep us from bursting into tumors and dying? Uh, and and that became the real basis for it. So it's almost like Mad Max is downtown, and this is the the kind of next evolution of, of hopefully the beginning of a society that can eventually thrive, or at least not die. I must say the uh, the road scabbing of the uh, the character within the first few pages of the book was very evocative, uh, <laughs> as well as uh, that taking all those elements together. Something that you would you'd imagine seeing sort of on screen. The artwork on the cover for this book 
is just phenomenal and uh, I, I do love the the character that's on there representing these guys it looks very very fallout kind of inspired look it's, oh, uh, it's abs- really nice absolutely um that, that was the, the covers by a guy called chris wall who's an australian artist and uh, i sort of with my very bad art drew up a, a a concept of what he wanted and he got it straight away like it was just he understood completely the kind of world we're in and the kind of iconography we're using so yeah it's 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 a wonderful cover you should absolutely judge this book by its cover um, oh absolutely because I the think cover is awesome the cover really tells you everything about what this book is about uh from yeah. tone, tone to to everything there's this kind of a it's kind of a throwback to the 70s and 80s which for me was the the, the just the golden age of book covers because they were you know, graphic and exciting and, and they'd have stuff on them. I feel like now book covers are quite often just a font. Here's a colourful font and a nothing, there's nothing on it. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying it, every cover needs to be the same, um, but like uh, a bit of diversity in, in, in imagery and like, why are we afraid of, of throwing some good stuff in our covers? Our movie posters throw stuff up on it. So like, let's have some book covers with some business going on. Um, so yeah, I definitely wanted to explore that kind of iconography. And yeah, Chris just knocked it out of the park. So um, I would absolutely love to work with him on future projects because the man is a genius. Yeah, good plug out there. I'm just sitting here trying not to <laughs> squirm too much, thinking about my uh, extremely minimalistic book cover, which is uh, for my next book, which is coming out in like a couple of months. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I say, I don't want every book cover to be um, like that. I just, I feel like we lost that strand of book covers. And I think, you know, again, diversity, let's have, uh, let's have just a bunch of different looking covers out there. It's um, kind of like the, uh, the, you know, the McDonald's and, uh, and pizza huts of the world turning into sort of these depressing corporate looking buildings uh, instead of the sort of the fun red roofed yellow tiles thing that they used to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They, they did. They were colorful places and there were people dressed up in suits, which was, you know, slightly scary, like, you know, like not, business suits but mcdonald's type suits like i remember clowns would feature it uh, and mcdonald's and now they're kind of downplayed that i guess because crown clowns are, are creepy and scary been a while since uh, i've seen Gr- grimace or birdie running around on a happy meal box yeah, what <laughs> happened to grimace release the grimace cut <laughs> well this has been an absolute pleasure uh chatting with you today anthony thank you so much for taking the time to, oh, so much. to and, come and talk a bit hey, about man. australia or australia sorry thank you for taking the time the, uh, to read it because you know, the accent, this right? is this is a weird story on the surface. Um, and I, I think maybe some people might get put off by the fact that there is um, the use of strange language and, and that kind of stuff. But it, it ultimately, this is a, a, a rip snorting yarn that does want you to come along for the ride. And it, it is a crowd pleaser once you get over that initial hurdle. And um, I thanks so much for your lovely yeah. review. It was, it, it felt really like someone got it and that was amazing. Oh, it was an absolute um, pleasure. So, Look, like I sort of, I said to you, I think in the notes before we started, it does that the the language is a real uh, is a barrier. It takes a while for the the brain to sort of click into what the language is doing and to be able to read it with with its cadence and you know that lilt, that poetic lilt that it's got. But I think, as I said, that only took me something like three or four pages, and I was in. Right. And I've been accidentally sneaking in the vernacular in my everyday talk language ever since, because <laughs> it just really, it sticks to the sides of the brain and it just won't let go. It's infectious. It's really good. That's so if there is thing. someone out there who sort of hears that and goes, Oh, maybe, you know, if it's got a language 
thing, I don't really like reading that. The sort of the way I sort of think about it is, you know, when you are reading a novel and it's got the one sort of Scottish character in there and or the Irishman and someone has written that in with the, with the accent, that can sometimes be really hard because it is jarring. It's It sticks out. But this thing, the entire book is in, like, it's it's the dialogue, but it's also the internal narrative. It all follows those same rules. And once you're sort of seeped in it, all you can do is just enjoy it. It's it's really good. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you liked it. Uh, thanks for having me on because um, this was awesome. And for anyone who's looking for, you know, those uh, those weekly readings perhaps to get a bit of a taste of it, you say that's on your Facebook page. Is there anywhere other places people can find you or find the book? Um, you could go to Straya Book, um, uh, S T R A Y A Book, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, there'll be all links to the good stuff. And Anthony O'Connor Author is my personal website. Uh, if you want to head over there, and you can see a bunch of places that you can grab the book and other um, film projects that I've worked on before. And all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, and, and, you know, join the party. I'm doing weekly readings of Australia until lockdown is over, which we don't know how long that's going to be. So Hopefully you won't have fun. to read the book um, more than once. So I look at this stage, I feel like I'm going to have to write a sequel just to get these damn things done. But, um, yeah, so uh, please, please come along with this journey. I, I would love to tell more of these stories. I, I really want Franger's kind of um, opus to, to get out there. So yeah, come along for the ride, strap in, let's do this thing. Brilliant. And just to finally leave on, you say sequels and you mentioned that there might be more to Franger's story, uh, but your next book is, uh, is something completely different, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's another Australia set thing, but my next um, book that I'm actually working on uh, right at this moment is called Emma After, and it's a kind of uh, supernatural adventure from the ghost point of view the the underrepresented ghost point of view wherein the the humans and the living are the problem um and uh yeah uh, i'm not sure maybe coming out next year we're still sort of in negotiations about that but yeah it's a there's there's action there's adventure there's love there's monsters it's all that good stuff so yeah uh, hopefully we can, well, let's, let's chat about that when that's about to come out, Terry, let's, uh, let's, let's get this train of wind going again. Sounds great. Booked in. So thanks again to Anthony for coming on the show and having a chat to us all about his book, Strayer. I've got a couple of links in the show notes. If you want to find a place to buy that, you can just click through and grab a copy. It is definitely worth the read. And if you want to continue the conversation about Straya, then I invite you to head over to the Talking Fiction Discord server. Again, there's a link for that in the show notes. It's a place where people can get together to have a bit of a chat about whatever they've read, watched, played, or experienced lately, and find a community of like-minded individuals who just like having a good old chinwag about the great things, the great fiction that they've enjoyed. Next week, we'll be doing a book review of The 22 Murders of Madison May. What with Marvel's What If series, the Loki series, Rick and Morty, everything else, we are truly living in the era of the multiverse. And The 22 Murders of Madison May gives us another look at a story set in a multiverse setting and it does not disappoint. I look forward to talking about that book with a bit more depth next week in a full review. But until then, I hope you have a great time reading either Strayer or The 22 Murders of Madison May. 
catching the new What If series on Disney Plus or watching, reading or listening to something else that's really exciting and I look forward to talking about it with you all soon.